This episode of Does Not Compute is brought to you by Hired. They dramatically simplify the hiring process by flipping it on its head. Instead of applying to a bunch of companies manually, you just sign up for Hired and fill out your profile. After that's done, companies will send you personalized interview requests with salary and equity information up front to help you figure out which ones might be a good fit. Over 4,000 awesome companies are looking for new employees on Hired to fill full-time and contract positions. They've got jobs available in 17 major cities across North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Hired also helps protect your privacy by hiding your profile from current and former employers. Not only is it totally free for you to use Hired, but they'll also give you a $1,000 thank you bonus when you find your next job through them. If you sign up at Hired.com slash DoesNotCompute instead, they'll double that thank you bonus to $2,000. Give Hired a look and sign up today at Hired.com slash DoesNotCompute. So, Sean, how have things been uh, last week or so? What have you been up to? Uh, driving a car. Driving a car? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for about the last week. I think we left on Wednesday, um, and the trip ends this upcoming Wednesday, so it'll be about seven days. Uh, so for most of the last work week, I've been um, trying to tie up some loose ends on a project, make sure that there's like a clear roadmap for the other devs to continue being productive while I'm gone and then um, started driving. So have you been doing any programming while you've been on the road? Uh, I've been trying not too much. Uh, it's been a pretty nice break. Uh, I didn't realize how, I guess, tired I was. Uh, so when you're kind of in a car, you know, 100 miles deep into the desert, then there's no, not even any cell service, so I can't tether or anything. It kind of forces you to relax a bit. And uh, so that's nice. So I've mainly been listening to audiobooks and just driving. So I guess the only programming I've been doing in the last week was uh, before I left, I downloaded Elixir Cones and I've just been kind of working on that here and there. Uh, but I found that I was having a hard time concentrating on it because I actually do need that period of just kind of rest to recharge myself. Yeah. I mean, in a way that's, that's kind of nice that you've been in those places where you haven't actually been able to tether or anything like that, just because then you're really forced to get away and kind of reset. Yeah. And the funny thing is I always find myself trying to speed that process up. Like, oh, I feel pretty okay. I'm going to try to focus on this now. And after maybe 10, 15 minutes, I realize that I'm actually not going to retain any of it because I'm not focusing enough on it. So I'll just kind of put the computer away and go back to listening to an audiobook. I've been listening to the Maze Runner series, which I've really been enjoying. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of been like a nice, just a step back. And we've been camping everywhere we go. So we'll drive and then find a campground and just kind of uh, hang out until the next morning when we start driving again. So that's also been kind of nice too, just to you know even not have an option for Wi-Fi in the evenings. We're just out in the, in the wilderness. Have you found yourself anxious about that at all? Like the feeling of being disconnected? Has it made you uneasy or is it, has it just been really nice? I have not been uneasy. Uh, there's been certain times in the past where I have been uneasy, uh, but this time is not one of them. And I guess it's because uh, where I am right now is I'm just tired. <laughs> um, so it's been it's been nice, I guess. It's been more uh, relaxing than stressful. So you're going to be back in action on Wednesday or Thursday, it sounds like? Yeah, I have a Wi-Fi scheduled for Thursday evening. Uh, we'll be getting, getting there during the afternoon, so... I'll be back in action around then, or at least, you know, uh, if I'm not back in action in full capacity, it's going to be more just kind of overseeing, um, get it, get lab issues and 
just kind of uh, picking up communication again on the project. So are you looking forward to that? Are you like anxious about getting back to things? Because I don't know. Have you even been checking email? Are you going to have a giant email backlog? No. So I've been checking email uh, this morning when I woke up. I had 30 as I was going through them. Uh, I don't tend to feel anxiety or the feeling of being anxious very often at all. So the the break has been nice. I guess I'm looking at when I'm kind of getting plugged back in. It's going to be a little bit different though because I'll be remote. So I won't be going into a noisy office or anything like that. I'll just be kind of by myself exploring the new area a little bit maybe, but mainly just kind of by myself uh, in, a, in a quiet place, which I'm kind of looking forward to. So I guess that is my, my saving grace at the moment. So you mentioned you've been listening to some audiobooks. What uh, what's that book about? Well, not e- not even anything technical. Uh, I've been listening to the Maze Runner uh, just because I saw the Maze Runner movie that came out a while back, and I thought it was interesting. I re- I like stories like that a lot, just kind of like dystopian science fiction novels. And um, Maze Runner is right up that alley. I really liked books like The Ender's Game and um, Anthem, and uh, so yeah, I've just been listening to that. And normally when I when I, I listen to things, it's usually like podcasts or tech-related podcasts. So I'm even removing myself from that um, where it might engage my work brain a little bit. And I'm, I'm really kind of fully embracing the almost no technological stimulation apart from a few Cohen exercises here and there. Yeah, that's something I've been trying to do more of lately. Just read stuff that's not tech and even even like watching stuff that's not tech related. Because for a long time, pretty much everything I read was blog posts or technical books. And even a lot of stuff I watched was, you know, presentations and at conferences and, and that sort of thing. So all of my media and all of my work for quite a while was so, so developer focused. And I found that when I actually step back and look at stuff and consume media that's not at all tech related, it helps reset me so much faster when it is time to get back to work. Well, it's kind of like being people being workaholics and they get injured and they try to go back to work too early. The injury never really sets or, you know, the injury never really gets to heal properly and they're never really able to be fully productive you know, because they didn't take the required time, the necessary time to fully heal from something. Um, and mentally, you know, the mind is no different. You know, the mind isn't that much different than any other muscle or willpower, at least, you know, and discipline. So it's really important to take time like that and fully take time away and not go back too early because then you still aren't going to be as effective and you'll burn out quicker. So I, I mean, I even brought my, uh, my Kobo, which is like a Kindle, but I realized I don't have any non-technical books on it. So it just sits in the car. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole week and i you know what's funny it's even funnier is that I'll, I'll carry it around i'll be like hey jamie can you grab my my kobo from the car and she'll be like yeah so i'll grab it and i'll walk around with it and then i'll look at it and realize i don't want to read anything that's on it so it's just kind of moving from from place to place and not really getting used so when you were preparing for the move did you go through all your stuff or was it kind of just to pack everything up and ship it out i'm kind of always going through my stuff i get this from my dad he when I was growing up, he always said, uh, for every one thing that comes in, you got to get rid of two things. One thing in, two things out, is what he would say, including animals. Uh, so that's kind of how I I just got to kind of carry that over. So I'm always on the lookout to throw something away or, or get rid of something and tidy things up. I mentioned I don't feel anxiety too much, but one thing I do feel anxiety about occasionally is if I have too much stuff. It makes me feel strange. I can definitely picture you being that way. When we first met in person was when you moved out to California to work at Octopus. And you moved out there literally with a single suitcase. Yeah, I had a suitcase and a laptop and a few guitars. Yep. And I think I came out with just a bag 
and you, and you slept on an air mattress in the uh in the break room of Octopus for like a few weeks, I think. Yeah, I lived there for about a month <laughs> until I, I felt like I needed to find a place, so then I did. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm perfectly perfectly content doing that. Uh, so this week has been pretty nice, just camping. I got a tent and a sleeping pad, and even last night I'm at my sister's house right now visiting. Uh, I slept on the floor in my sleeping pad because I like it. So um, I like, I guess I like when I when I sleep, I like to be really close to the ground for some reason. So it's it's a, uh, I don't know, it's really nice, but I, yeah, I feel anxiety about having too many things. And you and I've been talking a little bit about this recently too, how you were saying you wanted to to slim down some of your, your gadgets. Yeah. I've been trying to get rid of stuff in general, but specifically gadgets. I just, I have so many gadgets. I've got iPads and computers I don't need and just all the stuff that accumulates by nature of me being a giant, giant nerd. And I just look at it and I realize, wow, I really don't need any of these things. Um, So my wife and I actually, when we moved to San Francisco, we had around 30 boxes of stuff. And since we moved here, we've been trying just to get rid of things as much as possible, just really slim down. And now we're down to, gosh, I think probably 20, maybe even less boxes. When we started that process, I was like, I'm going to miss all this stuff. It's going to be painful, but you know, it needs to happen and it's going to be good for me. But what's interesting is the more I get rid of all these things, the more I realize it just feels great and I don't miss any of it at all. Um, I, for a long time, I had just an absurd, absurdly large collection of t-shirts and I, I still have probably more than I should. But what I've been doing with those is I just, if I haven't worn it in even a couple of weeks, I'm just taking it, taking a picture of it and then getting rid of it. And I haven't missed any of them. Even the ones that I was like, oh, this is going to be really painful for me to get rid of, even though I don't wear it anymore actually, I just feel better because I have less stuff. Yeah, it's less stuff for you to even think about. I Maybe it was like three months ago, I went online and I bought seven black shirts. So I, I, I shopped at a few different places online to figure out what kind of cut of shirt I liked. And then I found one and I bought six more. And uh, it's funny because camping this week, I haven't dressed any differently than I do any other time because I packed like four black shirts and two two pairs of jeans. Yep. Which is what I wear anyway. So uh, I don't know. Less stressful for me, less things to worry about. Um, just less things. I'm not quite to that point with the shirts, but I own two pairs of jeans. One to wash, one to wear. And that's plenty. It's a perfect number. And what's interesting is we're, as we're talking about this, I just can't help but think about software. Uh, how you said you want to have, as a geek, you like to have lots of things around. Like you like to, you like to get lots of different things to kind of mess around with and, and play with. Um, and I feel like we do that a lot in, in programming and software as well. We're like, oh, this tool is awesome and that tool is awesome. So we throw it into the tool chain. And then after a while, you're working on this thing and you're like, oh, there's so much stuff. I believe people, some people might call that technical debt, but it's just kind of funny to think about that, how I kind of strive for that in software as well. When I first started working with you, I would always try to opt for a plugin of some sort. You would say, this project needs this feature. And then I would say, oh, there's a plugin over here that does that. And then you would say, no, just write it, do it yourself. And I'm thankful for that because number one, I learned how to do a lot of things that I needed to know uh, later on in my programming career. But number two, it just slimmed down just the weight of a project. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up how this ties into programming, because I think a few months ago, there was this whole left pad debacle with NPM. Uh, for any listeners who don't know what that is, I'll explain it in a minute. But that's that's kind of like the most emblematic thing of this problem is just, hey, I need to solve 
an issue. So what I'm going to do is find a gadget, find something that I can pull in here to use. And that's how I'm going to solve it. Instead of figuring out what's the simplest, best way I can do it, I'm just going to pick the easiest one. And oftentimes in life, at least for me, what that is, is, oh, I'm going to get this new toy or, oh, I'm going to get these new clothes that actually I don't really need. So to go into a bit of detail about what LeftPad was, it literally was like a 20-line NPM package that just would take a string and then append blank space to the left-hand side to make it a certain length. It was just it just padded the left-hand side of a string to make it whatever length you needed. And this that would be fine, except that this package was required by a ton of other NPM packages. I'm I'm talking Babel, React, just some major major packages depended on this thing. And uh, the guy who made it decided one day that he was going to pull all of his NPM packages off because of some copyright dispute thing that's not worth getting into. And then all of a sudden, builds for every project that depended on on this left pad and every single project that depended on all of those projects, which as you can imagine with things like React and Babel, that was a lot of projects, suddenly you couldn't NPM install anymore. And you, you just couldn't build any of these, any of these tool chains because people, instead of implementing a very basic thing, just went out and added more cruft to their projects. Yeah, that was a whole whole thing for a long time. I mean, just remember seeing so many tweets and articles about it. The interesting thing was that, I can't remember recently, I'll have to find it and put it in the show notes, but I saw a tweet uh, where somebody was talking about the purpose of packages is to kind of package complexity, like a bundle of complexity, package it away so you, you can just reuse it, right? And so just off the top of my head, you know, you... It would make sense to make a package uh, for something that was complicated or something that took you a little bit of time to solve a problem. You can package that up and reuse it, right? But people are taking that to an extreme and they're just making packages for every little thing and requiring them in. And I, I guess I can see, I can see that. Like I get their their argument as to why that might be useful for them. But to me, it, it kind of seems crazy to have that level of of extraction. Yeah, a, a function is not a package, I guess would be one way to put that. Right. If it's something that you can rewrite in a couple of lines of JavaScript, it probably isn't worth pulling an entire package for because it it introduces just one more thing that can go wrong, as we saw very clearly with left, left pad. Yeah, and I guess the, the whole argument is, well, that totally is is if you use it in you know a few projects, it's totally worth making a module out of because then you... I guess above and beyond copying and pasting, you could toss it into a module, put it in npm, and then have somebody else install it. Or you, all you have to do really is throw it into packages.json and npm install, and it's there, right? So it, it solves some level of frustration. But I guess that is under the assumption that things aren't going to break and things aren't going to go wrong, and someone's not going to pull a bunch of stuff off of npm um, just because they get upset about something, you know? It's like I was having a, a conversation with my dad earlier today, and it all comes down to how much you trust something, right? How much. So a lot of people, a lot of people have all their stuff on GitHub, and that comes down to how much do you trust GitHub not going under, um, not getting hacked, not getting destroyed in some way, right? Uh, specifically, we're talking more about government stuff and how people just ha- kind of have no no sense of security. So people will just kind of give information out freely and not think about the repercussions. And now there are people that think about privacy, but I think the vast majority of the public doesn't think enough about it in terms of you know, being too open with, with private details, I guess, online, on social media, um, et cetera, right? I mean, I, I have mixed thoughts on that because on the one hand, I am super open on the internet um, with my personal information or at least subsets of it. Like 
if somebody wanted to find my address, that would be incredibly, incredibly easy for them to do. Just no problem at all. Exactly. And the other day, uh, Jamie was getting a new phone because I'm adding onto my plan. And the guy asked me if I wanted to update my security code from the last four of my social to something else. And I looked at him, I was like, does it does it really matter why, you know, why I would need to change it? And he said, well, it would be more secure. It's not using your personal information. And (laughs) it was funny because I didn't really think about the first thing I said. Well, the first thing I said was, well, if someone really wants that information, they can get it regardless if I change my pin or not. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's often the case. People don't realize just how how much information about them is out there. But what really scares me is when you look at lists of like the most common passwords, and it, they're all just so horrendously bad. And that's something that people can actually do something about. A lot of this information, it's just out there. And there's not really much that can be done about it either way. But with stuff like actually securing your accounts, using strong passwords, using two-factor authentication, like those are things that any user can do. And I feel like, first of all, users should be doing this. But secondly, they're never going to know if the education isn't out there. And a lot of times I see websites that are doing things like, not allowing people to use secure passwords. They're like, oh, you can use numbers and letters only, or it has to be between eight and 12 characters. Things like that are still so common. And I think more of that responsibility really needs to be put on developers to make them realize that these are really important things because people don't understand security and privacy, that we need to be educating them and allowing them to make good decisions. I mean, just the other week, Bank of America released an update to their app, their mobile app, that doesn't allow you to paste in passwords anymore. So now nobody can use a password manager with them. I, what? How is that a security concern? It's not. It's not at all. But developers are still out there making these decisions, or at least allowing these decisions to be made without fighting them. And I think that's something that developers really, really need to take responsibility for. It's so critical to allow users to make good decisions about their security and major corporations and even small websites doing things like that, like not letting people paste passwords in is just so harmful. You know, it's kind of funny that you say that Uh, a few, a few days ago, I came across this GitHub repo called security guide for developers. And I'll have that in the show notes. Um, And I thought it was really awesome. And it's pretty, it's in the beginning stages right now um, in terms of content, but they have a lot planned for it. And the gist of the repo is just to be a practical security guide for web developers. And the main reason is that developers that are just getting kind of getting started, you know, they they may not be well versed in secure practices, etc. And then also there's a lot of developers who just don't have enough time to remember all of all the kind of security best practices, right? And so the aim of this repository is just to be a quick list where you can go and find something. And if you're not educated, you can go and see like a pretty pretty comprehensive list of best practices. And the first thing they published is called the security checklist, which just kind of goes through and says, make sure that you're using CSRF tokens and make sure you're, you know, you're writing your SQL in a way that you can mitigate uh, SQL injection, et cetera. And they kind of give like really quick ways to handle that situation. But I think you're right. I think that we as an industry can do a lot in terms of, you know, how we implement authentication in our applications. But even more so, I think in the design, we can spend a little more time around that, around educating users. Because most of the time when you have a sign-up form, it's bare bones, right? And then you might have some password confirmation and you might have some bar that says your password is secure or not, which is a whole nother subject in and of itself because, you know, that meter, that security meter depends on the person's implementation, right? 
and I'll try and find it, but there was an article I read pretty recently that was talking about how that's not actually a pr- an accurate measure of what would be secure and what would not be secure. Well, definitely. And what, what I always found funny about those bars that say, yes, this is a secure, secure password or not, is that they completely ignore the fact that many, probably most people, use one or two passwords for all of their accounts. And if you're doing that, if someone is using the same password for more than one account, then that password is inherently not secure, no matter how long and complex it is, no matter how how much entropy it has, it is inherently unsecure. Because if any one of those other services that they're using that password on gets compromised, then those people, whoever compromises it, can log in to all of their accounts. And that's something that many users would never even think of. Well, not only that, but you, there's there's a lot of password managers kind of rising in popularity. You know, you have one password and LastPass and all that. But you also have things like the Apple Keychain, right? Uh, and the thing that I find interesting is that I've talked to a few people about that, just kind of being curious and what they thought about it. And I said, you know, how do you feel about the the Keychain and saving passwords and auto failing stuff? And their overwhelming the overwhelming amount of their answers were, I kind of feel like it's suspect, like it's kind of sketchy. Like I feel like that's less secure having a device know all of your passwords and filling it for you. They feel like it's less secure than them just kind of remembering passwords and typing it in. That's one of those things where it's so easy to look at these users and say, well, you're just, you just don't get it. You know, you, you just need to learn more about computers. But the fact of the matter is someone has to do the teaching there. We can't just expect users to understand these things. We can't just expect users to get them. And when someone comes to us and says, I use the same password for all my accounts, or I do you know, something that's bad for security, kind of our job there, I think, our responsibility is to know why those things are bad practice and not to judge them for it, but to explain. Really go to them and say, hey, here's why that's a bad idea. Here's why that's not something you should be doing. And I think that kind of personal touch talking to people who are non-technical, explaining things to them, t- taking the time to explain it is really just such such an important thing. That applies to, I mean, client work. It applies to individuals that you're, you're just trying to help. I mean, part of why designers and developers are paid what they're paid is in order to translate these complex concepts and to help normal users become better. Well, I think you really nailed something there in saying that it's part of the personal touch. And I think that, especially me in the past, and I've noticed, you know, a good amount of people in the industry are really quick to to do something like, oh, well, you, you think that's that's more insecure, uh, using a password manager is more insecure than you remembering your own password. They're really quick to just say, oh, you're just, you're just not smart. You don't get it. And just kind of say, well, well let me handle this. This, you know, I, I know of a, good, a better way to handle this and just kind of push them aside, I guess, as being inferior. And that's definitely not the right way to handle things. And like you said, we should be, you know, if we really want users to be more educated, we have to be the ones educating educating them because where else are they going to learn it, right? They're not going to. Uh, a lot of people tend to hear something and read something and only understand part of it. And then they kind of run run with that as being the truth. Like you'll hear people arguing and then you'll hear someone say, oh, well, I, I read this somewhere. And I'll think to myself, and you know, if I've, I've read the same article, I'll think to myself, well, that's not really, that's not the whole point. That's maybe one thing the article might've mentioned, but that's not the overall point that the article made, right? And granted, that's a pretty uh, simplified example, but 
you know, there's a lot of people that are operating off of misconceptions or, you know, something that someone else said that someone else heard that someone else heard. And really it comes back to us as designers and developers, if we're building software to help educate those users in our interfaces, if it's even adding an extra paragraph onto a signup form, like explaining why uh, using a password manager is a good idea. For example, if you have a password and a password confirmation, why not put some help text saying, hey, have you checked out LastPass or one, whatever, you know, it's not like you have to endorse a product, but just kind of introduce the concept to somebody. Right. And I mean, this doesn't even have to be stuff that you add to your app. It certainly can be. But it can also just be a thing where all of us interact with non-technical people on a daily basis. And I'm certainly far from perfect with this. It's so easy to take the knowledge that we have of computers for granted and then expect that other people would have that same knowledge. But everybody starts somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere. And that's just so important to remember. I think especially around security, because none of these things make any sense to anyone. Nobody even knew what a password was 30-something years ago, you know? And so for many people, they've spent most of their lives without ever having to think about these concepts. And now suddenly their Facebook has security, their all their social accounts have security, and their bank has security. And they all rely on these same basic security principles, but those things seem like they're on such different levels that if you don't understand security fundamentals – it's easy to treat your bank account information the same way that you would treat your Facebook login. Right. That's exactly it. And most people just don't spend enough time. They don't think about it, right? It's not a problem in their mind. They got a password, they're they're safe, right? So they don't have to think about, is this password secure? Did I use it anywhere else, et cetera? They just think, I got a password, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's kind of like this thing hearing people say, and I, you know, I've been saying it myself every now and then, uh, but I keep hearing people say that, that visitors, website visitors don't read. They don't, they might glance at a headline and might read like the first paragraph in a post or something, or the first couple of lines in a card or something like that. But they don't actually take the time to intellectualize all the information. And they can't really, because on any website you go, you're just blasted. Or the majority of websites have so much content on it. If you spent a good amount of time actually taking in all the information on a website, then you wouldn't have any time to do anything else, you know? So people tend to just kind of gloss over information. And the same is true for like uh, Facebook security alerts or something. You know, I'm, I'm fairly certain the vast majority of people don't actually read that and think about what Facebook is actually telling them. They're just kind of like, oh, cool, a security thing. Click. You know, they're, I think they're more trusting Facebook to handle that for them. Uh, so pretty much they wouldn't, they wouldn't have to do anything. Yeah, and Facebook in particular, I feel like, is is kind of a weird case because there is so much happening on that website all the time. You're being constantly bombarded with notifications. And what I have actually noticed from them lately is that they've gotten better at making things that are system kind of notifications really stand out and, and just actually make you have to action on them, specifically with like their, their privacy checkups that they do now. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to approach it. What they've actually done is taken this thing and instead of just giving you another little notification along with the hundreds of notifications you get every single day about your pr friends playing games or adding photos or whatever, they've brought it out into the flow when you're posting stuff. So it's front and center. And I think I think that's a fantastic approach actually. And I think I've recently seen that they lightbox it too, right? So if you log in, the screen will go dim except for uh, a call to action that might pop up. Yeah, they, they have been doing stuff like that lately, too. 
Yeah, I think that's a great example. I mean, you're not locking the user into something. You're not firing a modal where they can't, you know, they can't close it without clicking out of it or something. But you're just kind of saying, hey, this is important and you should check it out for a second. Right. And specifically with the privacy checkup things that I've seen, they show it when you're writing a post. So it's actually contextually relevant to what you're doing. And I think that's fantastic. I mean, that that's that's an example of what I would consider great design, actually. That's really clever to have it contextually uh, applied like that. I think then, you know, the user is typing a post, so they're in the mindset of posting something already. And then you fire a CTA saying, hey, did you know that unless you select this, it might show, it might go to everyone on your in your planet, <laughs> which you might not want, you know? Uh, I think that's I think that's really clever. And I'm sure there's plenty of patterns, you know, that we've adopted uh, in the design world that can, or those kind of ideas can be taken and applied to security fundamentals, or at least, you know, applied to things where a user needs to pay more special attention. Uh, I think another good example of this is if you try to delete a repository on GitHub, they actually make you type the repo's name, uh, making you actually acknowledge that you know what you're doing. So it's pretty safe to say that, especially on GitHub, I guess, because if you're trying to delete something, you know it's not going to come back ever. (laughs) But you go through there and it says, warning, if you delete this, it's going to be gone forever. And I believe the button even says like danger zone to get in there. And at the very end, before it even enables the delete button, you have to acknowledge that you actually know what's happening. Today's episode of Does Not Compute was sponsored by Hired. Anyone looking for a job in the tech industry should definitely give them a look. Hired makes it easy to find your next full-time or contract job. Just sign up, fill out your profile, and you'll receive personalized interview requests from amazing companies in the cities you choose across North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Hired actually has a special offer for folks who sign up at Hired.com slash Does Not Compute. By signing up using that link, they'll double their normal hiring bonus to $2,000. So you get a new job, $2,000, and you help support Does Not Compute. It's a pretty awesome deal, and you should check out Hired today. Hired.